The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So glad, and if she wasn't here, I would have bragged over her. But since, since she's here, I want to exhibit her. And uh, uh, for the past uh, 28 years, uh, November will make it 28 years, and uh, more, somebody that has uh, kept me going, even when I don't feel like going. Someone who has been an inspiration to me, someone who has been a blessing to me, uh, the mother of uh, four uh, people that today would not want to be called children uh, because uh, they have outgrown being children. And she is being the wife of my youth and is determined to, uh, to grow old with me. When I got married to her, I didn't have a strand of white on my head, but now I have it all over. And that tells you how I've enjoyed you know, uh, this relationship. And so this morning, I want to invite my wife, uh, Dr. Efreda Akins to share something very profound with you before I speak. Praise the Lord. I just want to, I don't know, we have such a short time to preach and he's used such a long time to introduce me. I was, you know, beginning to wonder if it was still me. I thank God that we're here today. It's always an honor and privilege to stand behind any pulpit, especially this one. Pastor Preston and Ashley have been part of our family. And so we're all family. So we're at home. And we thank you for inviting us. Uh, now I have just three minutes left. So I will read a scripture, if you, if you will, from the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. It's just what I want to just encourage us with this morning. And I'm reading from a translation called the New Living Translation. You may be seated, please. The New Living Translation from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It reads, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And verse 25 in the New King James Version says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, last Sunday, we, we were in a church in Atlanta, a mega church. And the man of God that was speaking, I enjoyed the service. I mean, he spoke very well. But there was something he said that set me thinking. As he greeted everybody that was watching him online, he said, uh, he's thinking about starting e-membership. And as I sat there, I said, oh, that's a, I said to myself, that's a good idea. I can now become a member of so many churches, you know, by just going online and I'm a member everywhere. But later on, this verse of scripture came to me that we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And as technology, you know, goes haywire and does so many things to us, let us remember that we are told to always assemble together. 
And I was telling my husband yesterday, I said, so God saw this day approaching when he said, this is the manner of some. Because once you become an e-member, I mean, I sit at home and I watch you on the TV and I'm a member of your church. But that is not what God says. God says that we should assemble together and we should exhort one another. So I've come this morning to thank you for coming together and also to exhort you. The Bible says that we should, you know, tell each other that we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because this is where we come and get our marching orders for the week. This is where God speaks to us. This is where we fellowship with one another. And when we lose that sense of fellowship, you know, a lot, a lot of, there's a lot of depression and loneliness in the world. And yet we chat with people all the time. We're on so many social media, talking to people all over the world. And yet we are so lonely. And if the devil now comes in to break our assembling together, then what will become of the church? What will become of you? And so I've come to exhort you to always remember. You may go to an assembly where they may offer you e-membership like I was offered last Sunday. But remember, as much as we want to be members of every church, every wonderful church, you have your home church. And do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. God bless you as you listen to my husband also in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I pray that you keep that message very strongly because God chose you to be here this morning to hear that. We live in the days that some people have assigned certain offices to themselves among which is to call themselves the, the prophets of the last days. They make themselves be heard to say what they want to say and not what God wants to say. And most of them that are teaching us what they call in theology as eschatology are perhaps doing us a great disservice by not letting us know that right in our hands, as we call it, tablets and phones and things, what is when Nokia made um, the, their slogan to be, is it to unifying people or connecting people, we fail to realize that it's become a device of dividing people. The more we become so entrenched with the social media, we become e-people, and people are becoming e-husbands to their wives, and e-children to their parents, and e-mothers to their children as well. But if we read the scriptures, and I know that you are people of the word of God, in my, you know, the book of Genesis chapter 3, after God had made all the world, and had made everything and placed man in the garden, God didn't sit up in heaven and connect one phone line to earth. It is written in Genesis chapter 3 that the Lord came walking in the garden and then he asked the question, Adam, where are you? God could have spoken to Adam wherever he was, but it was more important that he came into fellowship. Man was made for fellowship. The moment we disconnect from fellowship, a lot of things go wrong in our lives. I don't know where I could make reference to, to uh, for something I read 
some years back, and I'm trying to remember the name, whether it is called uh, Toko Kayo, Toko Kayo, or something like that. That it's a combination of Tokyo, Honolulu, California, New York, all put you know together in that uh, study. And they came to a point of trying to find out why a particular nation, Japanese, lived so long. And they did some kind of analysis and they found out that the Japanese that lived in Tokyo lived longer than the Japanese that lived in Hawaii. And the Japanese that lived in Hawaii lived longer than the Japanese that lived in California. And the Japanese that lived in California lived longer than the Japanese that live in New York. Somehow, it's as if the further they moved away from their home or their place, they shorter their lifespan. And the longer they stayed at home, or those who stayed at home, they lived longer. At that study, they were trying to find out, was it in the food they eat or was it in their genes? And if it's their genes that made them live so long, then all of us should go and have some Japanese genes. You know, today that we do DNA, you know, if I say, well, I'm 45% Japanese, even though I am black, you know, and then you think you will leave. But it, the study now showed that back home, they had a family connection. They could fellowship with people around them. They always had people around them that they could relate with. And so it was not a medical thing or gene or the food they ate, but the human connection kept them longer. The more they moved away, they were, as they moved to New York, they were getting further away. And their population in New York is not as big as the you know, population closer to as they move closer to where you know, they come from. And we, the body of Christ, we are also a chosen generation. We are a nation with no country. There isn't one country on the face of the earth that is a Christian nation. And I may say that to offend some Americans here, not all of you, some Americans. To say that, no, 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 we Americans here, no. But there isn't one nation. We would rather say we are secular, we are communists, or we are capitalists, or we are democratic, or we are, we will say different things, but never admit that we are a Christian nation. It hurts. I bet I wish we can say so. My wife and I were eating in a Thai restaurant, and I made comment. I said, look around, see all this. They have the images of whatever they, they worship, you know, and they display it. You can't go to a Chinese restaurant and not pass by a Buddha or whatever before you go and pay your money. They display it. But a Christian will not display the cross or the Ten Commandments or something that is symbolism of Christ. It will offend somebody. So we know that we are more interested in being identified as secular, democratic, and all-embracing nation. There isn't one country on the face of the earth. And it is okay. Because God is not bound by boundaries. God is not confined within a national, a national flag. There isn't one anthem that belongs to God, whether you stand or kneel when it is being played. Because it's the God of all flesh. Is the God that does not belong to any particular group. So our only nation is ourselves. Wherever we gather, we form the nation. When we meet here in Abilene, 
we are under the flag of our nation. And when we meet in Port Harcourt, we are under the flag of our nation, regardless of the boundaries we cross. And so the moment we disconnect ourselves from our nation as the church, we are causing a lot of problems in our own system. And that is why what's supposed not to happen among Christians are happening among Christians. It's so sad. Last week, we got to know that a pastor of a mega church, a pastor of a thriving church, took his own life. It's so sad. But these are things that should not even be heard, but they are happening. The abominable things that are going on in our society, they are such that the only place we can find comfort is that when we come together, and as that scripture that she read in that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that we should not neglect the assembling of ourselves. And God warned us in Joshua 1.8, he said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, Apostle Paul said, I am determined not to know anything. I'm not so concerned about the car you drive or the house you live in. But he said, I am determined to see nothing except Christ and him crucified in you. That when Christ is crucified in you, that makes all the difference in your life. He said again in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ that lives in me. For the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In fact, he even continued to say that, and the grace that was bestowed upon me, I did not frustrate it. And we need to understand that the Lord is coming very soon. We don't know when. The word soon is, you know, cannot be defined with a clock or with a calendar, but he will come. And all of us that have this hope, Peter said we should purify our hearts. Amen? I just want to share a word quickly with the remaining time that we have. And if I don't finish, I'll be back again. And uh, I will uh, postpone rapture until I come back. <laughs> if I don't finish sharing what I want to share, I will go and negotiate the, the coming of the Lord and say, Lord, uh, put it on hold until I come back to Abilene. So, if the rapture doesn't take place, uh, know that it's because I am coming. <laughs> Otherwise, watch out. Amen. I want to read from the book of Luke chapter 24. And you know, you can't see Luke until you look. So, I would like you to look at the book of Luke and you will find chapter 24. And I will read a few verses beginning from verse 13. Luke 24, 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together all the, all, I mean, of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? What kind of conversation? What kind of a chat? I have 27,000 followers on Facebook chatting with me and I'm sad. 
I have 654,321 followers. And I'm sad. So what kind of conversation are you having? And you are sad. Then the one whose name was Clopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early and astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But he, they did not see him. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophet have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Verse 32 to 33 is where I've been trying to get to all this why. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the, on the road? And while he opened the scriptures? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. They rose that very moment and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered, two words, gathered together. When we cast our mind back to the event that took place on the day we called Good Friday, um, you know, Easter is often looked at as if it's just two days event, the Friday and the Sunday. In most cases, Saturday is silent. We hardly hear messages on what happened on Saturday. It, it looks as if there was total silence about the event on Saturday, and yet so much took place on Saturday. That Saturday was supposed to be a Sabbath day, the day that no one should work. Till tomorrow, if you go to the Jewish part of Jerusalem, you are not even allowed to drive on a Saturday because that is work. So you walk. You don't do anything there. 
we could go to Jerusalem and we get to a place and when we get to a place we cannot drive on a certain street there because it was you know against the law you you don't do anything you don't use machine you don't do anything on that sabbath day and so sabbath day nobody worked and it's interesting that it was on that sabbath day that the chief priest went and obtained permission from the governor to go and get workers to mix concrete to go and seal the tomb so the day that no work ought to be done that day, the enforcers of the law, the, the chief priests who were supposed to be sure that nobody did any work on Saturday, they were the first to break that law themselves. They went and asked for permission, and they were granted the permission, and so they sealed the tomb. And the, this portion that we are just reading, one man is introduced as Clopas. Two men were traveling, but we are given the name of one. The other one was not given. I mean, we wasn't introduced. He became anonymous. But the scripture said they were traveling. They were going somewhere. And I tried to look for the meaning of the, the name of the city. You know, sometimes when we are teaching the scriptures, we want to find out the, the Greek meaning of uh, the name and the Hebrew meaning of the name and then we'll be able to weave it to say that, you know, uh, Jerusalem means the house of God. So when you go to Jerusalem, you are going to the house of God. And, and so what is the meaning of a mouse? I began to check and I checked the Greek, the Hebrew, the English, the vernacular of my language, and I still could not find the meaning of the, you know, of the city. So it means it's a meaningless town they were going to. So I named it a meaningless city. Uh, what does that mean to us? These people were making a meaningless journey. They were traveling to a meaningless direction. They were going to a miles. And follow the story. We read a lot of you know, scriptures there. But the scripture said when they got to a place, they got to that place they were going to, the reason they made Jesus to stay with them was because they said, they didn't say Jesus was tired. They said it was too late to continue to travel, right? That means that it was dark and they couldn't travel in the night or perhaps it was dangerous to travel further in the night. And so they said, Jesus, pass the night with us and continue the journey the next day. However, in verse 33, after Jesus had gone into the house with them, they cooked the meal and they were about to eat, which should have taken some minutes or some time. And when Jesus broke the bread and their eyes opened, it is written that they traveled. The very hour, you know, their eyes opened, having said it was dangerous or too late to travel earlier, now it was no longer too late. The scriptures never said they waited for the next morning. The scriptures said the very hour they traveled back. They traveled back to Jerusalem and they met the people, the disciples in the room. So what was, what does this, you know, tell us that as we come to the house of God today, what is God saying to you and I? In verse 16 of the scriptures, you know, the whole of um, the passages that we read, it is written that their eyes were held in such a way that they could not even see that it was Jesus that was with them. But you know what? It was not God that closed their eyes. 
Something else made them not to see. And that is what I want to talk about. That thing that makes us not even see hope when hope is around. The scripture said they narrated their story and said, we hoped, we believed, we anticipated. Our prayer point, the direction of our prayer was that this Jesus was going to be the king, the savior, the, 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 the hero, one that was going to break the yoke of the Romans and all the oppressions over our life. But, somebody say but. Contrary to the hope, he was arrested. And when he was arrested, perhaps we thought he was going to gather them together and by the swing of one hand, Everybody was going to just fall apart and there we will declare him the new ruler. But we saw him brutally beaten. And he couldn't even defend himself. At a certain point, when he opened his mouth to speak, instead of him to you know, call down fire, he said, Father, forgive them. How disappointing it was that the one that was supposed to fight for us is rather asking for forgiveness for those that are fighting him. And perhaps that was not enough. And when he cried out again, he cried for himself. He said, I'm thirsty. The hero is crying for water for himself. And then he went on further and finally he makes a loud sound. Father, father, why have you forsaken me? All that created a sense of disappointment and a sense of disillusionment in the eyes of these people. And finally, he died. And he was buried. And as soon as they cast him in the tomb, grieved by heavy sense of despair, disappointment, grieved by the heavy sense of what I thought should have happened didn't happen, Grieved by what feels like this is not supposed to have happened. They decided to go on a journey. Which means that this journey, this journey, one was unplanned, two was worthless, three was going to no specific, no great, no meaningful destination. And as they walked, they were talking and Jesus comes to them. The person they were talking about comes to them. The healing they were talking about comes to them. The favor they were talking about comes to them. The open door they were talking about comes to them. And they couldn't see it. And people of God, when you become so consumed by your disappointment and your sense of failure, even when opportunities come your way, you won't see the opportunity. When healing comes, you will not see it. When blessing comes around you, you will not see it. By the way, when we read about Jericho as a place that was shut, that was closed, no one could go in, nobody could come out, yet in spite of that, there was something in the city that belonged to the children of Israel. There was somebody inside that was on the side of the children of Israel. And it wasn't a priest. It wasn't a rich man. It wasn't a holy man. It was a harlot. 
Yet, in the locked up city, God has somebody inside them. The person God had wasn't the person that they were praying for. Wasn't the person you would like to take a selfie with. She said, Rahab, can I have a selfie with you? No. Was the most abhorrible person. And yet that was the person God had already positioned in that city. Maybe that is prophetic for somebody here. God has someone for you that you don't even care about. God has somebody for you that in fact, you wouldn't want to have a handshake with a person. And yet that is the person God has ordained to be a blessing to your life. So as these men were walking, Jesus comes to walk with them. And they had a long talk. And in fact, that was the longest service those men had ever attended. It was a long service. Because the Bible says the beginning from Moses, Jesus opened the scriptures, all the prophets. So can you imagine, we talk about Moses, and then we go to, you know, we go to Elijah, we go to Jeremiah, and we go to Isaiah, and, and then we open the scriptures. So that was a long service. No wonder it became dark. No wonder the, the, the day was fast spent. And when they got to a place, where they could no longer travel, the Lord opens their eyes. And people of God, sometimes the Lord will travel with you and travel with you and travel with you until you get to a place where you cannot travel. You are going the wrong direction. Instead of him to drag you out of the wrong direction, he is traveling with you. Notice he never told them, go back to Jerusalem. He walked with them. Even when they said, let's go into it, he went with them. Why? His name is Emmanuel. The one who is with us even when we are wrong. The one who is with us even when we don't feel his presence. The one who is with us even when we don't care about him. The one who is with us even when we are not praying. The one who is with us, even when we don't come to church, he is with us and he will travel with us until we get to a point when we look at the weather of our own life. We look at the weather of our own circumstances. We look at the weather of our own relationship and we say, I can't travel anymore. And when you can't travel anymore, he opens your eyes. And when he opens your eyes, it is now your turn. It's now your choice to begin to run back. And amazingly, the journey that took them practically the whole day, the Bible said the same hour, they came back to Jerusalem and met the people. <laughs> they came and met the people. What had taken them so long? Now, in one hour. Because when you are traveling to a meaningless city, you keep traveling. You keep traveling. And there are some of us that are traveling to meaningless city because we are disappointed. We feel disillusioned. We feel that, well, um, I'm a Christian and when I put my hands to do something, it must work immediately and this didn't work. I prayed about something and this is, we, what month are we now? We are in September, the ninth month of the year. And I've not seen any result. If my year 2018 got pregnant in January, by this September, I should give birth. That I don't even see any sign at all. 
And when we feel disappointed, the first thing we do is to travel out of Jerusalem. And how do we travel out of Jerusalem? We leave the house of God. Fellowship is not our interest anymore. We just want to go away. Just go anywhere at all. Anywhere we'll do. We just travel. And we just find somebody to travel with us. Technically, the Bible left out the name of the other person. Very interesting. It's of no consequence for us to know the name of that person. But in most cases, when we are eager to move out of Jerusalem, we don't care who we travel with. That is when nothing matters. Oh, well, I, don't, you know, I don't condemn anybody, any person, any, anyhow. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's just a person. It doesn't matter whether he's a Christian or non-Christian. You know, I just, you know, and we begin to become so democratic and so socially, you know, anything goes. They were traveling. And the Bible says that while they were traveling, their faces were sad. It is not the will of God that you will live in depression. The reason we are having so much incidence of depressions among people is this isolation, this moving away from the house of God, this trying to just go somewhere. I just want to go. I just, I just, I don't care. I just, I, I don't want to know my brother. I don't want to know my sister. I just want to go. I just go to a miles. And I call it journey to a miles. And the journey to a miles that many Christians are taking today are leading them to a place of sadness and a place of meaningless destination, a place that will count for nothing in their lives. And many are on the journey to, you know, to a miles. What's the meaning of a miles? I don't know. What were they going to do there? Who was there? What was the benefit of going to a miles? If a miles was so essential, as soon as their eyes opened, they said, Lord, uh, well, we, we have to finish this business. And then, but the very hour, they went back. Because it occurred to them, why are we here? Well, what are we doing here? What is the benefit of being here? And some of us, we need to come to that realization. What is the benefit of being in this place where is, I'm reacting to what someone did wrongly. I'm reacting to what somebody said wrongly. I'm reacting to some kind of uh, disappointment in my life. I'm reacting to something that I felt, you know, shouldn't have happened. And so I'm taking on a journey. But once the Lord opened the eyes, and I'm so glad that today we had a communion. And the key to the opening of their eyes was the breaking of bread. And we didn't have, we didn't celebrate the communion as a, a ceremony in the service. But the communion that we had, the Bible says that if we do not discern the body of Christ, then we are not doing the right thing. But when we discern the blood and the body, then we should understand that where there is sickness, the blood brings healing. Where there's confusion, the broken body and the shed blood brings peace into our lives. Where we are, our lives are facing the wrong direction, that body, that broken body should re return us to our Jerusalem to bring us to the right place. And where your life has been heading on a journey that seemed to have no meaning, the Lord wants to 
recover you. He wants to turn you back. The Lord wants to make you swing back and come to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the house of God. And when they came, apparently, obviously, this 11, why were they in that room in Jerusalem? The scripture says that they were in that room for fear of the Jews. They were in a state of anxiety and a state of confusion themselves. And yet, they didn't travel. They were there. And it is in that same place that the Lord visited. The number changed from 11. It increased. On the day of in a few days, it became 120. A few days, you know, of being 120, it now became over 3,000 because they stayed in the house of God. And when we stay in the house of God, when we stay in the place of God, when we stay where God wants us to be, the decrease in our life will change to increase. Instead of us to have that kind of depressing moment, joy will come. And I believe somebody's joy is not where you've been trying to get your joy, but it's in the house of God. It's in the house of God. And God is speaking to my heart to say it could be one person or two persons or three or all of us. Abandon your miles and come to Jerusalem. Abandon the trip. You're going thinking, well, I can have some fun here. I can have this here. I can have some association here. I can have some connection here. And let's come back to the house of God and see the importance of the fellowship, as my wife mentioned, you know, earlier. The assembling of ourselves and sharing the gospel and telling our testimonies, sharing what God has done in our life. I may not have everything, but there's still something that God has done in my life. For this village boy, abandoned in a village somewhere in Cape Coast in Ghana, to be standing before you in Abilene, Texas, USA, is a testimony. And it is not the gold and silver I have, but the fact that if not for God, I will not even be alive to see this day. That is enough message. That is enough testimony. And when we begin to share our life testimony with others, they will stay in Jerusalem. The reason those who were in that house in Jerusalem was because those who went to the tomb came and told that we saw an angel. What have you seen? What can you go and tell? What can you share with others? And we need people who will turn back from a miles and come and say, we saw the Lord on the way. I thought smoking will do, drinking will do, taking drugs will do, but I realized that it was a meaningless trip. I am back. I am back. I thought getting angry and just being rebellious would do, but I am back. I found out that Emmaus is meaningless. And so I'm back in Jerusalem. And I am very confident that champions, there are some of us that left on the way to Emmaus, and I'm speaking prophetically. Nothing attracted them, but some out of disappointment and dissolution just be began to take off. But God is bringing them back because he never left them. He is always with us. Even on our way to the miles, he's with us. How could God, how could Jesus possibly be with people that were going in the wrong direction? He was with them. I, really, what they did was so bad. And he is still with them. I, I don't think these guys are going to heaven. He is still with them. I can see them speeding towards the direction of hell. A meaningless place. He is still with them.
Isn't that amazing that we, when, you, when, you, when, when you, you think about the love of God, it's unfathomable. He's still with them. And he's with us. And he has been with you. Even when you felt like your hopes were gone. So even in your hopelessness, he's with you. But don't let your disappointment take you to a mile. Let the disappointment make you stay in Jerusalem because that is where the hopelessness is going to be turned around. Many times when things fail us, we want to go to a mile. But today God is saying, you know, when you come to church, sometimes there are three or four things that happen. You may be about to take a step and the Lord will say, don't. Or you have taken a step, the Lord said, that's it, I'm with you. Or the Lord is saying, no, this is the way, walk in it. Or the Lord is saying that, well, um, you can make it better. And so, whatever you are, the Lord is saying to you, don't let your disappointment lead you to a miles. Don't let despair, discouragement, failure of your dream and your vision take you to a miles. It's meaningless. Let's stay in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter what the social media is giving us. It doesn't matter what the political system is giving to us. It doesn't matter whatever anybody is saying to us. Let them call us bigot. Let them call us whatever name they can call us. But we will stay in Jerusalem. We will be a people that will not be ashamed to call upon God. If I have to say God bless you, I shouldn't be afraid of it. If I meet somebody on the street, let, when we say God bless you, I will not be afraid to say that because I believe in the blessings of Jehovah. My wife and I were on a escalator, I've forgotten which airport, filled with people. And as we were just on the escalator, I just whispered to her, I said, wow, I, all this crowd of people, suppose all of a sudden I raised my voice and I said, Allah, what do you think will happen? She said, you will go to jail. <laughs> I mean, it's simple as that. Because if I did that, you know, people will fall off. You know, there will be stampede. Why is that word so easily reacted? We also need to create something that will trigger some awareness. That we should not be ashamed to talk about Jesus wherever we go. Jesus loves you. Don't say that to my face. Even though you have said, don't say that to my face, it has gone into your ears. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Let me don't say that. Sorry. But you can't withdraw it. I have said it. <laughs> For Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I said it anyway. Sorry. We must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 to 17 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to him that believeth, to the Jewish first and also to the Gentiles or to the Greek. For therein, verse 17 says, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Too many of us are going to admire us because our prayer, our little prayer point has not been answered. God, I trusted you for a BMW this year and never came on my way to Emmaus. What is BMW? God, I trusted you for this and it never came. I'm on my way to Emmaus. They said, we hoped that you would have been 
but he didn't be, he wasn't what we hope. And because he didn't become what we hope for, we decided we are going. What have you asked from God that didn't come at the time you wanted it to come that has created disappointment in your heart? The Lord sent me to let you know. Number one, he's not left you. And two, your answer is still on the way. Don't be discouraged. Don't go to a miles. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.